we're starting a new series today. Did you notice the upside-down trees? Did you notice it? And I think they're supposed to be upside-down lights too. Very good. Upside-down kingdom. Let me tell you about the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. This is the right-side-up kingdom. The king of Saudi. You've probably heard of him. He has his own private jail. He has a luxury yacht the size of a football field. Can you imagine that? He lives in a private palace, has many other palaces, and has bought up luxury homes in many other countries. He has an undisclosed fortune. He has a lot of gold. And he has just recently spent $30 million for a holiday in the Maldives. But he did have to take 100 bodyguards with him and pay for them. He has a school just for royals like him, and he has a chunk of the media empire. There you have a current king. He has enough money, more than enough money, to give every citizen, the 33 million citizens, he's got enough to give them a million each and still have enough for a holiday and more. That is the king of Saudi. And they do have a poverty problem in Saudi, but please don't broadcast this. Anyone who mentions it gets put in jail. That is the current king of Saudi. Let me tell you about the King Jesus. He does not have a jail. He has a kingdom of released people. He sets prisoners free. On earth, he said, foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the son of man's got nowhere to lay his head. He needed a miracle to pay his taxes. He sent Peter fishing, and in the fish's belly, there was enough money to pay for his tax and Peter's. He actually says, written by Paul, that uh, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for our sake, though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. The king of Saudi had, has, he can't go anywhere without his bodyguards. It's not easy being a king. You've got to be guarded. But you know when Jesus was there during the Easter story that we celebrate the enemy came, and Peter whipped out his sword, <laughs> tried to defend, and uh, if you remember, he was told to put away his sword. Didn't need bodyguards. Jesus' school is for his people. You know, the king of Saudi has a school for royals like him. If you go on the internet, you can see pictures of all these things that I've just sh uh, shared with you. But you know, Jesus... His school is this. He says, come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Can you imagine a school of rest? Education department should learn about that one. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. For I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest. The king of Saudi has a chunk of the media. Jesus had 12 disciples. One message, one book, and you and me. Millions 
of messages today. That is the upside-down kingdom. Wouldn't you agree? No kingdom like that on earth would um, be in people's imagination or mind as a worthwhile kingdom. But I want to say that during these next four weeks, starting today, we're going to look at the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom. We're going to talk about what is the kingdom and how do we fit in it. Where is God in this kingdom? The major difference between the kingdoms of this earth and the kingdom of God is that our kingdom, the kingdom of God, is an eternal kingdom. Forever, forever, and forever. Believe it or not, there was never a time when the kingdom of God was not. The kingdom of God is also growing. It is inclusive. You don't have to be rich to belong to this kingdom. You don't have to have a certain IQ, degrees, or anything else. It's made up of released prisoners. It's made up of sinners. It's made up of the rich, the poor, terrible sinners like you and me. It is made up of all these people. It is made up of everyone who acknowledges the kingship of our king. The other kingdoms are temporary, and they're fragile, and they're exclusive. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, the message to teach or preach about this kingdom, we first meet in the Gospels, those first stories that talk about Jesus in the newer part of the Bible. They're called Gospels. Gospel simply means good news. Mark's Gospel says good news, good news of the kingdom. And the first sermon we ever have recorded in the New Testament is this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Spoken by John the Baptist. That was the first sermon. Now that's enough, you can go home. <laughs> they fortunately knew what it meant. We have to unwrap that. He was speaking into a culture that was waiting for a kingdom. It's waiting for a kingdom. And so we need to actually look at this uh, verse that's here from um, Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, so we've got this Easter, the Christmas story here in the early parts of the newer part of the Bible. In those days, John the Baptist came from the wilderness and he began preaching. His message was, say it with me, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare ye the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Isaiah 40 quote. Now Isaiah wrote those words, that prophecy, 700 years before John the Baptist came. And if you want to have a nickname for John the Baptist, he is The Voice. That's his name. He is only known as The Voice of one in the wilderness declaring that God's kingdom will come, that he is to prepare the way for it. Now, for 700 years and 500 years before that, and probably many years before that, the people were waiting for a king to come. They gloried in the kingdom of David. It was promised a thousand years before David. 
that there would be a kingdom of righteousness. But when Isaiah said these words, there was no kingdom. It was going to be destroyed. It was poor. It was pathetic. Other kings were taking taxes and tariffs and trade wars. And it was pathetic. And 700 years, they struggled. The kingdom after Isaiah struggled for 250 years, but it didn't have the glory. And so the people were waiting for a kingdom, for someone to come and fight their battles, to defeat the Romans, to build the temples and the palaces and all of the stuff that went with a kingdom on earth. But they're told, repent. Repent means change your mind about what you think, you people. Change your mind. The kingdom of God is near, it says. That little Greek word actually means it has come or it is here, okay? Little word, it's, it's close by you. It's close by you. That's what it means. It doesn't mean to say it's coming in the future. It means it's close by, the kingdom here. And so we go to the message of Jesus and we find that uh, he actually preached the same sermon. This is what he said, Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's nearby, it's close, it's here. This is the message also that the disciples were commissioned to preach. So when he sent them out, this is very early on his ministry. If we read one of the other Gospels in John, it says that Jesus came to his own people. His own people were the Jewish nations. He was born a Jew. And he came unto his own. And then it says, but his own didn't receive him. Then it adds, but to many who do receive him, we, all, anybody, Jew or non-Jew, and we've learned that from Paul, the full series, have the privilege of being called children of God. So this, just have to read this one in context, first of all, because there are other instructions later on. So this is the message he sent to his early disciples to go out to the Jewish people. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Now, the this is the upside-down kingdom. It's prophesied. It's talked about in the older part of the Bible. But in the Jewish thinking, it was about swords and temples and palaces and wars and defeating enemies. In the mind of Jesus and the prophets said it was about a suffering servant who would heal the blind. It's written there in Isaiah. He would release prisoners he would come to the poor. He would be there and heal the sick. The lame would walk. The blind would see. This is the kingdom of God that has come to you. This is the message that they were to preach. So the summary so far of the messages that they were to preach was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is here. Let me just say that um, I'm using those words interchangeably, and you probably think that that's not a good thing. But if you read one of the Gospels 
Matthew, the first one, it will always say the kingdom of heaven. If you read the other gospels, it will always say the kingdom of God. Why? Well, one hour lecture over there, but just summarizing, the Matthew was written to the Jewish people and they didn't say the name of God. So they had to call it the kingdom of heaven. But if you read the same parables and they're, uh, they're uh, the same words, the same descriptions, it's used interchangeably. So I will do that too. The kingdom of God is here. But, 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 you might say, Jesus taught his disciples to pray what? May your kingdom come. So it looks as though there's some kind of confusion here. Is this contradiction? Jesus, John, and the disciples said the kingdom of God is near, close by, it's here. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray, may your kingdom come. This is the reality. The kingdom of God is here. And it is yet to come in its fullness. And we call that the second coming of Christ. But as I talk about the kingdom, you will discover what it is like to be in this kingdom on the earth now. Isn't that exciting? I think that's great. The kingdom of God is here. When we go on and we come to five things that we need to have an understanding of for the concept of the kingdom. Now, I've got these from a theologian called Scott McKnight, for anyone who wants to look this up. And it's just a summary of what a lot of other readings will say. Five things. And I want you to go away today with these five truths about the kingdom of God. So let's look at them all together, and then we'll unpack them. There is a king. True? There is a king. A king does what? Rules. A kingdom always means there must be people. The king has a will or a way or a law, whatever you like to say. And there's usually a land. Five things. So let's just have a look and unpack these one by one. There is a king. That is spoken of even in the Old Testament. You don't have to go far. A lot of the Psalms celebrate things like, the Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. The Lord reigns. For the Lord is a great God, a king of kings above all gods. So it's there, it's celebrated. And it talks about all the nations being able to celebrate this king of all. So yes, it's there. King, but what did it mean? There is a king. When we come to the New Testament, we discover that even though they didn't know it, when they wrote on that cross on Calvary, they wrote about Jesus, King of the Jews, King of Israel. So even a secular man was acknowledging a kingship there. The Jews didn't like it. They said, why don't you say he says he's the king? They said, no, he's the king. Surely this man is the king. King Jesus, he is the king. In the Old Testament, it was called God, Yahweh, the Lord, the collective name. 
When we come into the New Testament, we unpack the name of God in a different way. We realize that God, the Lord, God Almighty, introduces us to God the Son, Jesus, who comes as a king. Upside-down kingdom, he was born in a stable. Upside-down kingdom, born of a peasant woman. Upside-down kingdom, just an ordinary bloke, ordinary childhood. Nothing like the splendor of others. But he is the king, King Jesus. He's the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that they were waiting for. Messiah, the deliverer, the God's anointed one who would come according to the Jewish people, and fight their battles. But he is the king. He has a rule. The king rules. King Jesus rules. And he rules today. Two ways kings rule. First of all, a king has to rescue a people or deliver a people or bring them into the kingdom, okay? He needs to rescue them, save them, save them from the enemies. In the Old Testament, we read about this when Moses brought the people out of Egypt. There was a salvation from slavery, and they went into a promised land, out of Egypt into the promised land, and they became God's people. They were called Israel. Not all Israelites were faithful to God, but they were always the faithful few, the remnant. In the New Testament, the people of God, they're called the church. You and me. So we mustn't confuse what the kingdom of God is and the church. The church are the people of the kingdom. You got that? You are the people of the kingdom. Now let me say this, there's some ugly, awful people who attend church. You and I are probably one of them at times. If you are criticizing the church, you're criticizing yourself. If you hate coming to church, you hate being with yourself and other people like you. We are all saved people put into the family of God. We are the people of the kingdom. But we know that there's people here and throughout the history of the church that has made the church ugly and unattractive. But what we have to capture is that the church is made up of the people who call Jesus King. Okay? Who call him King Jesus. Not who just necessarily attend a local church on Sundays. The church is full of corrupt, evil, powerful people. And it has got a bad reputation. But the church is also full of precious people like you. People who love Jesus, people who said yes to the kingdom of God, to the reign of God. And you are one of them. And we are the people of the kingdom. Isn't that great? We are the people of the kingdom. I love it. Now, so a kingdom always meets people. So you've got three things. There's a king. He rules. I forgot to tell you the two things. I said he rescues. I forgot to say that he governs. All kings govern. Okay, I'm sorry about that. I forgot that bit. He rescues, that's part of his job as ruling, but he governs. He's the boss. And what he says is non-negotiable. It's not a democracy. I'll vote for who's king. I'll vote for the party I like. I'll protest against the way he rules. 
No, our king, kings rule, kings govern, and they are not voted in, they're born the kings, okay? So God's standards and God's governance is non-negotiable. We spend most of our time trying to negotiate God. If you do this, I will do that. If you answer my prayer, I promise, I promise, I promise, I'll do that. Okay? That's exaggerated, but that's sometimes how we live. So, sorry, I forgot about that, about the rule, just as well I was going back. There is a king, he rules by delivering us, by governing us. And this kingdom always means people. The king also has a will, a will, or a rule, or a law. You know what it was in the Old Testament for the people of God? The Ten Commandments, expressing the character of God, the way he wants his people to be. And if you love God, this is how you will live. In the New Testament, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he goes deeper. And you'll find that teaching in the Beatitudes in Matthew. Some of it, rich teachers, where it says, blessed are they who do this. Upside down kingdom again. Blessed are the meek, for they're the inheritance, inheritors of the world. Blessed are they. Isn't that great? Blessed are they. So what does it mean for us who live this side with Jesus? It means we have commandments. And it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, when Paul wrote every one of his letters, every one of his letters, he finishes up with things like this. Therefore, because you belong to God, this is how you will live. Okay? You will be kind. You will love others. You will honour people. You will respect. You will pay your taxes. It's all there in most of his letters. So the king has a will. And evidence of the people of the kingdom are those who live in obedience to Jesus. First we trust our king who delivered us, governs us, and we learn to obey. This next one is interesting. The king has a land. The king has a land. When in the Old Testament, going back to the Old Testament kind of thing, when it's talking about Israel coming out of Egypt, they're wandering around the wilderness, they're going to a land. And it's finally when they enter the land that they can stop fighting. But did you know they've found it difficult to hang on to that land all these years, right from the very beginning? Why? Because they forgot that a king has a will. They forgot that a king governs. They forgot that they were people of a holy king, a holy nation. But the land is still important to them. So what does it say for us? Is there a special land that we're all going to end up on? The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. There's an interesting little verse that says, the kingdom of God is among you or in you. And so where does King Jesus rule? He doesn't have a parliament in Hobart or Canberra. He has a parliament in my life. He governs. 
from the heavens through me, through you, through us. So he has a space, and one of those spaces today is here. Very concrete, a safe place. A place where we can come and know that we can celebrate our king. A place where we can bring others and show them the rule of God, the grace of God, the laws of God, the love of God. So the space becomes very different in this upside-down kingdom. And this is what I love. The kingdom of God is taking over lands. It says violently in the scriptures, but it's, it's spreading. So there's kingdom of God in Iran. Did you know in Iran you have the fastest growing church today? Did you know that? Amazing. Another place where the church was exploding was Nepal. Church exploding in China where people are trying to stamp it all out and, you know, push it down. But they can't because God's people who have his rule just go and it spreads and it grows and it's all over the world today. Every nation there's part of the kingdom of God because the people of God are there, the rule of God. So God's great rule, the God, the kingdom of God, rules through his people where they are. And if you want to take the kingdom somewhere, you go. It's you. The kingdom's through you. I like that part. You know, I want to go back to Colossians. I had this earlier on. Colossians introduces us to two kingdoms. Colossians has got there a verse written by Paul that says this, we pray that you be strengthened with his glorious power so that you'll have endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of evil, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. It's God that does the transferring. There's two little parables that I want to conclude with that are in the scriptures. Two little parables in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven, it says, or the kingdom of God, is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned, get enough money to buy the field. Another little one after that says, And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the outlook for the choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and brought it. What does it say? It's not really saying you can buy the kingdom. What it's really saying is that this kingdom was in the first story, it was stumbled across. Stumbled across. A treasure. My goodness. And the man goes home and he counts the cost of what it's going to cost him. He counts it all up. And then he sells everything. And he goes back and he buys the field. It's a treasure. It's worth everything that he had. He stumbled across it. The next one discovered the great pearl, the pearl of great price. He finds the pearl. He goes back and he too 
counts the cost, and he finds it of great worth, great value. Some people do stumble across the kingdom. Some people discover the kingdom. Some people are discovered by God and introduced to the kingdom by others. There's no one way, but this kingdom is precious. This kingdom is a treasure. This kingdom is worth everything you've got. And really, it demands that you do count the cost. Paul said, for me, it meant a complete change of how I was thinking, a repentance, a repentance from my old way of living, from my sinful way, because I need this kingdom. I need this kingdom. I need the rule of Jesus in my life. It's an upside down kingdom. No, you can't buy it. It's a pure gift from Jesus. We're transferred by God into this kingdom. How do I enter? You say yes to the king. He's the one that's had that act of salvation and you said, I believe that your death is sufficient for me. When you died, you died from my sin, my guilt, my condemnation. You say yes to the King, no to self, yes to the rescue mission, death on the cross and the resurrection life. You say yes to his governance, his rule in my life. The life that I live, I don't live for myself anymore. I don't build my own little kingdom. I submit to the rule and governance of Jesus. Yes to his will. Yes to be obedient. Is he your king? Does he rule your life? Have you found the treasure that surpasses all other treasures? Have you counted the cost? Someone once said to me when I was a young teenager, the entry fee into the kingdom of God is free, but it will cost your whole life to live in it. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're King Jesus. You rule. Thank you that we are your people. We want to surrender ourselves to your governance, to your will, to your way. And we want to be aware that where we are, the kingdom of God is. Thank you that there will be a day when the kingdom of God will come in all its glory, in all its power, in the name of Jesus, and every knee will submit and declare that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.